how we doing? Is it, is it change anything or not? No. How are you doing on your, your end of things? Is that working? I didn't know it was the mic or whether it was the back. Oh, good. That's good. But Jake's watching. Jake says, I'm going to be watching today, so you know, let me make sure Jake can hear. Huh? Okay. And then sermon audio goes through yours? Oh, so we're okay. Got it. Praise the Lord. Technology. Well, listen, we're coming to the end of Romans chapter 8. This is a kind of a glorious closing of a chapter that uh, is, is kind of the grand finale, the grand finale of chapter 8. It ends in a crescendo. We talked, it's like a firework display that it gets more intense before, right before it goes out. And there's a great crescendo of hope, of security, and of uh, assurance of salvation in this passage. So this passage is, speaks to every one of us who name the name of Christ, who go through times of struggle and doubt, who wonder at times whether we're truly saved. Maybe you're even here today and you're, you find yourself in, the, in that category and you say, I don't even know if I'm a Christian or not. I grew up in a Christian home. I think I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I'm truly saved. And so we're going to see hope, hopefully, from this passage today. You know, we began looking at the five golden links of salvation back in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And if you remember, this is where our assurance comes from. It comes from the fact that God foreknew us before the foundation of the world. And that means He pre-loved us before the foundation of the world. And all of those whom He foreknew, He did what? Predestined. And He predestined them to be conformed to the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So those whom foreknew are going to be predestined, and those whom He predestined will be called. And those whom He called in time and space to come in a saving way will be justified. And their sins will be forgiven, and they'll be, they'll, they'll be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And everyone who's justified, and that means every one of us here today who are in Christ, will be glorified. It's sealed. It's going to happen. Nothing can, can take it away. And that's the point that he's been driving home for the last several weeks we've been seeing at the end of Romans 8. Never fear losing your salvation. Each step in God's salvation is linked together. You know, you enter in at the foreknowledge and, 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 the, and the love of God before the foundation of the world, and you go right into eternity future, and you, you end up in, with glorified bodies, and you're going to be with Christ in, in glory forever. So we see security there. We see perseverance there, a faith that will not fail you. But we, we asked ourselves this question last time. Even the best of chains break. I mean, yeah, they're all linked together. But what if one of those links breaks and severs that relationship that I have with God? Uh, is it possible for something, someone, something to come along that would cause one of those links to break and for me to find that I've lost the very grace that I thought I had when, when God first saved me? And Paul's been answering that question with six rhetorical questions. Uh, and the first, remember what a rhetorical question is? Is a rhetorical question, the answer is what? It's, it's obvious. It's implied in the very question itself. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? What's implied there? No one. 
who will condemn you? Who is it that will condemn? No one. And so who can bring a charge? Can your spouse bring a charge against you? Can the church bring a charge against you? Can your enemy bring a charge against you? Can you bring a charge against yourself? And the answer is no. And so uh, no one. You're God's elect. We saw that. You're God's chosen. You've been justified. The judge of all judges has made a decree, a final determination that you are truly in him. Your sins are forgiven and you have the gift of everlasting life. And now you're clothed in the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So who can condemn your soul was the second question we looked at. And then that kind of focused in on Satan. Can Satan cause you to lose your soul? And we saw no, no one, including Satan. Jesus has been condemned on your behalf, so there's no way you can be condemned because there's no double jeopardy in, 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 uh, in heaven or on the judgment day. No one can condemn you. So here's the question for today. <clears throat> no person can condemn you, but can any events of life bring your salvation to an end? Uh, can some, some calamity come into your life causing you to forfeit or to lose your salvation? And I think it's a good question to reflect on because, uh, you know, I don't know about all of you, but I think many of you, if you reflect on that question, could probably think of someone or maybe some ones who at one time or other professed faith in Christ and then some calamity came into their life. Uh, it, it could have been a, a broken marriage. It could have been a sickness. It could have been a death. I mean, all these various adversities and trials, loss of a job, finan financial calamity, can come into a person's life. And, and perhaps you know people firsthand who were at one point were trusting in Christ, and then a calamity came into their life, and they turned away from the faith. How does that fit into the passage we're looking at here in Romans chapter 8? I mean, take broken marriages, for example. I have counseled several couples uh, whose marriage ended up in divorce. For one, uh, and then after that, either one or both of the couple ended up leaving the faith, turning away from the faith altogether. You know, after announcing his divorce, Joshua Harris, author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, former pastor of the megachurch in Maryland, he renounced his faith. I was shocked when I read that. Uh, I have understood a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is called falling away. And so following a divorce and a lot of other things going on in his life, he turned away from the faith. A dear couple that I married several years ago just went through recently a wicked divorce. And not only did the husband lose his wife and his children and, and the couples separated and divorced, but he went into a spiritual tailspin and abandoned his faith, turned away from his faith. Sickness has a way of doing this. You've, perhaps you've known people who are sick and uh, they were just doing fine, trusted in Christ, everything's going to church, and then all of a sudden a real tragic sickness comes into their life. And, and they end up turning away from their faith. Early in my ministry, a young man gave a strong profession of faith in our church. 
until he was diagnosed with uh, <coughs> stage four bone cancer. And it was, it was a long, painful death for him. But before he, got in, before he breathed his last breath, he denied the faith and turned away from Christ. We all could probably add story after story of people who had events that came into their lives that actually caused their spiritual life to go shipwreck. And so we ask the question again, is it really possible for events, tragedies to come into our life in such a way to cause us to lose our salvation and break that chain? Is, is this true? Can events separate us from, our, from the love of God? Well, we know this. We, we, we saw before we live in a fallen world, right? I mean, this life this side of eternity is rough. And, you know, we have it less rough here in the U.S. than other people do around the world. But hardship, sickness, death, uh, suffering of, of all different kinds. And often even those adversities that are unique to Christians. Persecution. Can any of these break the link? that we have of salvation? What about those times when it doesn't appear that God is for me anymore? He seems to be against me because of all the things that's going on in my life right now. Has He turned His back on me? Should I turn my back on Him? Now, the last few verses here that we're going to look at this morning in Romans chapter 8, Paul's going into every word in his vocabulary arsenal. You're going to be surprised. He's pulling out words from all over because he wants to make sure that by the time you read the last line, the last word of Romans chapter 8, that you know without any doubt, with absolute certainty, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. And we're going to see that uh, he begins here at verse 35. Who? Does any of your translations say what? I didn't take the time to look up all the possible translations. But uh, who shall separate you, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know, it, it's an interesting word. Who can actually in the Greek be translated what? And sometimes it's the context that helps us know whether it should be who or what. But, but here, who, I think is better understood to be what. That's what we're looking at. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? course, being a, a rhetorical question, the answer is nothing. <laughs> We're going to see that. He said, but I want you to know that. I'm going to drive this home for you. And who shall separate us? And the us are the elect. Those are the Christians, believers in Christ. Uh, who, 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 what can separate us, us Christians from Christ, from his love for us? Notice that he says not separate our love for Christ and break the chain that way, but separate Christ's love for us, which, by the way, is an everlasting love. It's a love that began with foreknowledge, that is, back in eternity past. It's a love that continued to the point of that we see in Ephesians 5.25, linking Christ's love with the love of a husband to a wife. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love where he went to the cross and died for us. It's a love that's permanent, uh, it, just like the, the husband has to present his wife spotless before before God, so Christ is going to present His Christ, or His church, to be holy and without blemish all the way to the end. And so it's sacrificial, sanctifying love, persevering love. Christ's love for you is not a fickle love, an on-and-off-again love. It's this 
his love for you. It's also a particular particular love. I don't know if it needs it or not, but uh, Christ loves his bride. You see that in Ephesians 5. He loves the church. He loves the saints that he laid down his life for. He loves the elect. He loves the redeemed. Uh, and notice that this is in present tense. Uh, Paul's not saying that he did love you and then he died for you, but he's actually saying right here in this, this verse, he's loving you right now. It, it's continuous. It's present tense. In the midst of your trial that you're going through now, the suffering that you might be experiencing now, it's not that he loved you in the past and saved you. He loves you right now. And he's working that love out whatever trial you're going through now. You know, and so Paul gives us a long list of tragic events that can come into anyone's life. So we, we, we understand that in case we're tempted to think something might separate us, he's trying to make a laundry list. That you, well, okay, uh, almost everything you can possibly think of is going to be in his list. So you leave here today not even thinking that you've experienced something or will experience something for which it's impossible for you to fall away from Christ and his love for you. The list below doesn't mean that love, his love does not spare us from adverse adversities in life, but he actually takes us through those adversities in life. Uh, this list we're going to see coming up that he gives us, these, these tragic events of life, are really a, a carbon copy of what he experienced himself in his own life and ministry. So this isn't like cold theology for him. This is actually personal. He's experienced the things we're going to be reading about. He's experienced himself. And he knew that the God and the Lord Jesus Christ took him through those all the way to the point where he got his head lopped off at the end, if you remember. And, uh, but he entered into the presence of God with all those things that he experienced. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toils, hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? So there, there's, there's Paul's life. There, there's his experience, his testimony. God took him through all of that. Christ's love never failed all the way to the end. And now he asks us these questions. He brings to us this checklist. He says, so what about in your life? Tribulation. Can tribulation separate you from the love of Christ? And the word here is a word that, that, that it's, it's like a weight that's on top of you that crushes you. Uh, being squeezed or pressed under pressure. It's when those outward difficulties of life are so strong and so heavy, you go into emotional distress. 
you have severe adversity and life circumstances are squeezing you. You've never felt that. I mean, anything can cause tribulation like that to come into our life. Or he says, what about distress? Can distress separate us from the, from the love of Christ? And distress here would be active opposition to you. Could come from any source, come from work, come from others. But act, outward opposition. It, it, the picture is one you're walking along and all of a sudden the, the space you're walking in and the walls are getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And, and you have no room to, 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 you're hemmed in by the circumstances of life. Can that separate you from the love of God? What about persecution? Affliction that comes from being a Christian. You can't escape it. In fact, it's promised to God that we're all going to be persecuted. Matthew 5, and, and we see in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, he says, well, count it as joy. <laughs> Rejoice that you've been persecuted. Or famine. What about famine? Probably referring to uh, lack of food, famine resulting from persecution. You know, when, when you lose your job, you don't have income, or your source of income dries up, or you're thrown into prison and they don't give you any food, all of a sudden you find yourself in famine, left to starve. Paul was there. Nakedness? When's the last time any of us suffered from nakedness, you know, by, per, by way of adversity? But you're unable to properly clothe yourself because of the opposition that's around you or danger? Any ways that you can be exposed to all kinds of danger, mistreatment, and finally, sword. Can sword separate you from the love of Christ? And this isn't the long, you know, this isn't the long sword you swing like this. This is like the long dagger sword that you all, a criminal would have, a, someone who's robbing you would, would have, an assassin would have, a symbol of death. Can any of those things separate you from God? That's the question. The answer, of course, is what? Is no. And what Paul does is says, by the way, none of this is, is new to, to, to the uh, first century church. Uh, let, let me quote you from the Old Testament. And, let, and let's see that this, this is something that's been going on. As long as there's been God's people, there's been suffering. And so he quotes in the next verse, Psalm 44, 22 and verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So don't be surprised, he's saying, when these adversities come to your life, there's nothing new about any of this. This has always been the path of God's faithful ones. And this is the mark of being one of God's people, including adversities such as persecution. Calvin says this in his commentary, he says, there's no new thing for the Lord to permit his saints to be undeservedly exposed to the cruelty of the ungodly. And so you come to a, a passage of Scripture or a whole chapter like Hebrews chapter 11. You have the, that, that hall of faith that's there of all the believers of the Old Testament. And you read through that list and you find believer after believer after believer that was persecuted, suffered. The one thing they, had all, they all had in common is they all persevered to the end. I mean, just listen, verse 36 of chapter 11. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. 
They were killed with a sword. They went about with skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the whole world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on earth. That was normal life, first century for some of the believers in those days and, and even at the end, the end of the, the Old Testament days. And not one of them fell. Not one of them lost their faith. And you read this throughout church history. You, you, you take a big book like Fox's Book of Martyrs and open it up and you see how, you know, from the disciples all the way down to, to the last of the, of the martyrs, men that gave up their life, women that gave up their life, that, and, and God saw them through the, the worst of trials without losing their faith. This is normative. What I'm trying to say is this is normative for all who are in Christ. This is very normative. Uh, this is, but here's the thing. This isn't normative for us in the United States today. This is normative Christianity, but it's not normative Christianity in America. Uh, we have homes, all of us in this room, wherever you live, that in many parts of the world would be considered palaces. You realize that. Uh, we have three-car garages for our motorized chariots. We have uh, food that floods our pantry from the four corners of the world. We have walk-in closets that house all of our clothes and our shoes and more shoes. It's amazing that we're able to, this is who we are. And, and here we are with our security. We have no fear of, of being persecuted or, or being martyred for our faith because we live in safety in America today. Last I heard, there are very few of any being martyred in our country. But what's true of, here, of, of us in the United States is not true of most places in the world today. You know, I, have, I get this book once a month, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, a little magazine that just talks about those who are persecuted and suffering around the world today, 2020. And uh, I read this, this is in 2020 edition, a Muslim extremist. There was a couple by the name of Abdu. That's the man's name, and his wife was Halima. They're, they're believers in Niger, in Africa. And one day, the extremists came into their village last year, and they were looking to kill Christians. Now, Abdu, what he did is he wore a, a necklace around his, his neck that had a cross on it. So he was very identifiable. That guy's, oh, there's one right there. And so they grabbed him. He had a... He walked with a, a cane, and he came along and knocked his cane out so he fell to the ground. And they took a gun out and shot him in the head. And that wasn't enough. His wife started running towards him. And uh, after being knocked to the ground, shot in the head, his, his wife, Alimus, ran to her husband while they continued to put in eight more bullets into his body. And she knelt by him and cried for two hours, lamenting over the loss of her husband. These are true believers. They have a faith that perseveres, even through those kind of adversities. This is foreign to us here in America today. We can't even, we don't, oh, that's how it used to, no, that's 2020 in some of the countries of the world. And so we come to verse 37. No, in all these things I just read, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And so Paul adds that in all these things, not that we're going to go 
avoid all these things or skirt around all these things. The implication is we're going to go through all these things. We are more than conquerors. And that more than conquerors is an interesting word. It's, it's a, really a strong word. It's a compound word, uper, uper uh, hyper, uh, the word we get Nike from, which is victory or put together in one word. And so you got a lot like hyper victory, more than conquerors. We conquer, God through us conquers the adversities. And then we could kind of a glimpse back to verse 28 where all things are working together for good through him who loved us. Now here it switches to him who loved us, past tense. Remember before we looked at him who is loving us, now in the present, but now he's taking us back to him who loved us in the past tense. And I believe the focus here is on Christ's death on the cross and in his work of salvation on the cross, the, through him who loved us and died for us. Picture of we saw back in Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a, a good person one would dare even to die. But God, he shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's a victory that's been accomplished by Christ because he loved us on the cross. And then we see the final statement here. It kind of repeats himself again. And he wants us to drive this point home. He wants us to leave here never forgetting. That's why he says in verse 38, For I am sure, there's no doubt in my mind, Paul says, I have complete assurance, not assurance that God will keep me from these things, but rather certain that these things cannot separate me from the love of God. I'm confident of that. And you must be confident of that as a believer in Christ. We must have the same certainty that Paul has. We can say that, that we're more than conquerors. Christ, we're more than conquering and, and, and getting us through all these adversities in such a way that our faith remains intact and we end up on that last day being truly converted. None of us losing our salvation. None of us falling from grace. A faith that will persevere all the way to the end. So the question comes up. Objection now is being raised. Uh, nothing, Paul? Nothing? Well, let me see. I looked at your list, Paul. Look. And so Paul says, okay, in case you think that maybe there's something else, let me give you another list. I mean, he's driving the point home. I'm going to give you a second list. And I'm going to put the list in pairs, two at a time. And, and the pairs are such a way that one part of the pair is this, this extreme and that extreme, which means anything in between. So the first is nothing in between. Neither death nor life can separate you from the love of Christ. One of the great enemies we all face is death. To many people, especially all those outside of Christ, it's, it's defeat. It's the end. It's the last battle. It's the one we're all going to lose in the sense of dying. You can't escape death. And uh, those who, who don't have hope in Christ usually dread death. At, at all costs, they'll try and escape death. But no one, no one can or ever has. Queen Elizabeth, uh, she, per was, she persecuted many of the Puritans in her day. 
she was a, a cruel queen, uh, manifested her cruelty to the public that she, she reigned over. She died in 1603, 70 years old, and these are her last words. All my possessions for just one moment of time. Hanging on, hanging on to life. Didn't want to die. I mean, my whole kingdom that I might live another day. She was hanging on to even death grip Queen Elizabeth. But for believers, we have the confidence that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So death can't separate you from the love of Christ. How about life? Can life separate you from the love of Christ? Well, life is everything this side of death. It's, it's what we have now. And it's filled with adversities and trials and all kinds of painful events, uh, tribulation. He said, no, your life can't separate you from Christ and His love. But what about angels and rulers? You know, angels, uh, and now he's going to the spirit realm. And if angels here are the elect angels, the good angels, and if the rulers might be referenced to uh, Ephesians 6, to the principalities, the, the satanic the satanic angels, nothing in the spirit realm can separate you from the love of Christ. Um, then you go on. If that's not enough, how about time? Nor are things present, nor are things to come. Now, does that include everything or what? Nothing in the present and nothing in the future can ever separate you from the love of God, the love of Christ. What about time? I, I really see that as probably just in itself. If he only said that, that would encompass everything. There's nothing in the present and there's nothing to come that could ever separate you from Christ's love for you. Uh, nor powers. Now, this is interesting because now powers is listed by itself. You have present and things to come. Nor powers, dunamis power. And literally, uh, it could be powerful authorities over you. Sometimes powers are used, principalities are used to describe uh, miraculous deeds that were done. It doesn't matter what it means because we've already said that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. So how about, let's, let's take another perspective, not time, let's go in space. Nor height, nor depth. He's, he's trying to cover everything. Look up as far as you can see. And look to the lowest depths of the earth, and there you will find nothing that will separate you from Christ's love. Now, that's quite a statement. Uh, in other words, in heaven or hell, height or low, you know, it has even a greater meaning today. In Paul's day, the height would be the farthest you could see with the naked eye, uh, the farthest planet you could find. Uh, that from that point to the lowest level of the sea or the ocean. But today, the naked eye, so without any aid of any telescope, can see the, the, the planet Uranus for 1.7 billion miles away on a dark night. The, the, the unaided eye, you can still see that planet. But now we have up in space the James Webb Telescope that brings things that you just can't even imagine how far they are away. You can see, you can see with the aided eye of a telescope. 
In fact, this new telescope will examine objects that are over 13.6 billion light years away. I don't know how far that is. That's more than 10 miles. I, I mean, it's pretty far, right? 13.6 billion light years. Uh, so we can see that far. And we can see God's creation along, all, all along the way. And, and Paul's being careful. He's choosing every word in his vocabulary and his tool chest of words very carefully because he wants you to know this. There's nothing. There's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of Christ. He's trying to think of every way through the aid of the Holy Spirit in writing this to let us know that there is nothing, 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 as high, as low, beginning, end, everything in between. So perhaps you're thinking, and you're sitting here this morning thinking, you know, but he doesn't know what I'm going through right now. And he doesn't know the battle that I have spiritually going on in my own heart. And so I'm not sure if there might be something that I'm experiencing that he hasn't addressed. And so he knew you'd be thinking that. And Paul writes, from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, nor anything else in all of creation. Okay? That's it. Nor anything else. So if you're thinking of something, forget it. Because there's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of Christ. You know, the Arminians might jump at this point and agree with us and say, yes, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. In fact, there's no one that can separate us from the love of Christ. They might even agree with that. But they say there is one thing that can separate us from the love of Christ, and that's you. You can separate yourself from the love. Granted, nothing else can, but you can. And so you might be quick to respond to someone like that and say, well, let me quote a verse to you. How about John 10, 28? There Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you see that you're secure there? No one will be lost. They would say, oh, yeah, I agree with that, but you can. You can lose your salvation. You can sin. You can forfeit what God has done for you. They would say, sure, no one can pry you out of the hand of God, but, but you can kind of wiggle your own self out of the hand of God and even leap out of the hand of God because of your sin and be eternally lost. And that's why Paul rejects this right here, and he says, no, nothing in all of creation. And so unless you're outside of creation, you can't even yourself forfeit or turn away from the very salvation that God has gifted you with. You're secure in Christ. You can't do anything the devil can't do. You can't do anything the angels can't do. You can't do anything the powers can't do. And so I want to close with a question that takes us back to the beginning of this message. The, uh, no one can charge us. No one can condemn us. No person. But what about events? What about calamities? And we went through a whole list that, that there's nothing that can do that. But do you remember at the very beginning, I, I said, do you know a few people that perhaps turned away from their faith and because of calamities that came in, tri trials that came into their life, they just got up and walked away? How do you explain those people? I mean, if what Paul's saying is true, 
how do we explain those whom we knew at one time trusted in Christ and then a huge calamity of divorce or sickness or death came into their life, persecution, and they got up and they turned and walked away? How, how do we explain that? Paul says, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think one of the ways we, we reconcile those is to go back and remind ourselves of a parable that was taught by our Lord called the parable of the sower. And I think that clarifies what's happening here and helps us understand what, how do we explain those who turn and walk away in the face of tribulation. In Luke chapter 8, you have the parable of the sower. And you know the story. He had a bag, and he had seeds in the bag, and he's casting the seeds out, and it's, la it's landing on different kinds of, of ground. And depending on the ground that it, that it fell on, determine what happened to those seeds. On the hard ground along the side of the road, uh, the birds came along and ate it. On the rocky soil, the, the plant came up and withered and died. Then the thorny, the thorny ground, where all the thorns were, they grew, and it grew for a while, then it was choked out. And then you have the good soil at the end where it, it gave forth, it grew, and provided a, a hundredfold growth with patience. And then, of course, there was, he, Jesus was asked, what's the meaning of this parable? And he gives the understanding. He says, uh, you know, the heart really is what? Uh, the ground is the heart. The seed is the gospel. It's the word of God that goes out. And so whenever the gospel goes out, the seed goes out, it, it, it comes to a heart. It might be a, a hard heart. It might be a rocky soil heart. It might be a thorny heart. It might be a good soil heart. Now, if it, if it lands on a hard heart, a rock-hard heart that hasn't been softened by the Holy Spirit, it, it, it's, it's there and Satan comes and plucks it away, he says. It doesn't take root. That's those who come and they hear the message, they hear the gospel, perhaps week after week, and they leave here just as unconverted as they did when they came, week after week, because their heart is hard, and, and the word does not take root. Then there's the rocky soil. Uh, those are the ones who receive the word with joy, and they believe for a while that Jesus said, and then times of testing and trials and tribulations come, and they fall away. Now, here's the answer to our dilemma of how we reconcile these. There are those who are rocky soil professing Christians and they hear the gospel and they hear it and they jump up out of their seat and they receive it with joy and they perhaps give some kind of an outward profession that they're Christians. But then when the, when the hard times hit, the trials, the tribulations, the testings, they fall away. And how do we explain that? Well, we would say that those people were never converted. You know, they had a religious experience. Many people have religious experience, but they were never truly converted. They didn't have a born-again experience. They didn't have a new heart put in them. They didn't have true saving faith. They had a religious experience. How many people have walked down aisles and prayed prayers and went through all the rigmarole of salvation, and then five years later you never see them again? What happened to those people? Well, some of them might be rocky soil hearers. And there's the thorny ground hearers. 
And those are the ones that they hear the word and, and they even, they even says, he says, believe on some level. Maybe acknowledge intellectually the truth of the gospel. But then the cares of this world, here we're looking at again, the cares of this world, the riches and the pleasures basically are choked out and, and, and the person turns away bearing no fruit. The only one that's truly converted, the only person who's truly saved is the good ground. And that's where the good ground is the heart that's been plowed up by the Holy Spirit, softened by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God comes in and it's received. It's understood in the mind. God gives a new heart. A person's truly converted. They're born again. They repented of their sins and they bear fruit. And they never, never, never turn away. Oh, yeah, we talked about having doubts and, and going through times of, you know, religious crisis in our life and all that. But it's from God's perspective, you can never, ever lose your salvation. You know, it sounds like if you read that, there's some who fall away. But none truly do fall away. Does that make sense? I mean, hopefully that does. That uh, I think it really explains what happens. We see Cr Paul on one hand telling us, you will never fall away no matter what happens. And then you read the parable of the sower. What about these three? And you realize that they were just basically intellectual hearers. They never were truly born again. So there's a danger that goes up. Some of you that might be here today, you wonder, well, am I in Christ? Am I not in Christ? Why are you trusting in Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Is God producing fruit in your life? Uh, but if you're just trusting in some religious experience you might have had, as a kid or sometime later, earlier in life, and that's all, then you might find yourself when persecution comes, when adversity comes, you fall away from something you never had. I would encourage you, if you're here without Christ, that could it be that today is the day that the Spirit of God is softening your heart and making it into good soil? You know, not that hard rejection soil, but that good soil that it welcomes the truth of the gospel to come in, to take root in the heart, and then to blossom forth into much fruit unto everlasting life. It's the soul that Paul tells us is secure by the love of God. All who are in Christ are united with Christ. <clears throat> we see are truly, truly saved. You know, I would also encourage all of us who are believers here today that, uh, remember I said this was a crescendo? I mean, this is it. This is like where the, the, big, the last firework goes off. It explodes in the sky. You are in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you're in Christ eternally. And you will be in Christ eternally because of His saving grace. So, Father, we close thanking You for Your Word again.